0: From high atop 5 Bush Media World News Headquarters in Rochester, New York, it's the Top of the Tower podcast. We're brought to you by Shively Labs. Shively Labs is a division of Howell Laboratories. Shively is a proud employee-owned company with over 50 years of expert antenna and filter design and manufacturing and by YellowTech for broadcasters, podcasters, and content creators. YellowTech offers solutions for clean, efficient studios with the Mika mic arms and monitor supports, clear audio from YellowTech's iXM recording microphone and USB sound cards, along with its compact mixer, the Intellimix. To learn more, go to YellowTech.com. It's been a couple of weeks, hasn't it? In addition to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic, and make no mistake, it's not over either. We are now dealing as an industry with all of the fallout of the protests that started in Minneapolis and have spread nationwide as broadcasters try to figure out how to best serve their communities, provide them with the information that they need, keep things calm, and keep listeners happy with what they're hearing, too. Who do you turn to when you have programming questions? One of the gurus that I go to is Sean Ross. Sean has been all around the business over several decades and is currently the Ross on Radio columnist for Radio Insight and a keen observer of everything that's going on in the radio industry not just music formats though that has, that's a specialty but also talk formats and just the overall health of the business i connected with Sean this very morning for an up-to-date conversation about what we are looking at these days so i guess we we have to start today with the serious stuff um and the serious stuff obviously right now is how radio is reacting to this moment that we are in coming out of three months of coronavirus and now all of a sudden into Minneapolis and Black Lives Matter. We postponed recording this for a day because of the blackout. What is what is your take on how radio should be tackling these issues right now?
1: Well, I want to say at the outset that... I've run a lot more tape of radio than I've gotten the chance to listen to so far, so I want to be very careful about what I have and haven't heard. I have definitely heard some great radio over the last couple of days, and I've heard some radio stations over the last couple of days where it's been business as usual for an hour or very close to it. But I'd Want to be careful because I don't know what people did in the hour before I listened. I don't know what they did this weekend. I think we have to go back to where we were 10 years ago. We have been trying to overturn 10 years of PPM training in 10 weeks. We have a generation of program directors and personalities, especially at current-based, younger targeted formats who were raised on PPM, and they were taught to say nothing. They were taught to say, here's Justin Bieber on KISS. They were taught to say, did you hear what Demi Lovato did this week? Go to our website. Ten weeks ago, these personalities who've been trained to say nothing had to pivot, and they've had to pivot again. And I started to feel like our hosts were finally getting our bearings in terms of COVID-19. We're getting their bearings in terms of finding a tone where COVID-19 was a fact of life. Which was remarkable when you consider the layoffs of the radio business. And You consider that they were living through it as well and broadcasting from home with the kids trying to go to school in the next room. In the first couple of weeks, it was sort of like flying through turbulence. You look at the flight attendants and you can tell that they're concerned too, but why wouldn't they be? So that all said, I think we can be happy when we've heard somebody do a good job of pivoting, especially when they've had to pivot twice. I heard a wide variety of responses yesterday for Blackout Day. I heard WDAS in Philadelphia run a promo thanking the industry for its efforts, but also urging listeners to vote, and also urging listeners to support community businesses. I heard 92Q in Baltimore devoting every break and afternoons to what are we doing today? And explaining to listeners that you know the blackout doesn't mean log off, it means use your voice. In general, I've heard more listeners on the phones this week than I have in a long time, which I think is great. We thought people would not call radio stations, and I'm happy to see that's not still the case. Back
0: in April... You wrote a column for Radio Insight talking about this balance between local and national and, and how to how to make it work, you know, post-COVID and a post-COVID radio landscape, which I guess we kind of got pushed into this week, whether we intended to or not. And I guess I want to get some of your thoughts. You mentioned WDAS in that column as being an example of, of – a station that has made local its brand in in the Philadelphia market and has done well by it. How do stations cope with this in, in this environment where, you know, we've seen a lot of job cutbacks? We've seen a lot of stations that have no locality that they can even pivot back to in a moment like this because there's literally nobody there. How do broadcasters stand up for themselves in this world?
1: I think we need to do what we can with what we have. I think we sometimes as broadcasters expend just enough of our scarce resources to waste them. I think if we had stations that were truly local, if we had two or three of those in the market, and they're truly local at 10 p.m., and they're truly local even at 4 p.m. on Saturday. I think if we have those stations, then we can just let some of the other stations in the market be the best national radio stations they can be. Nobody begrudges K Love for being national uh, in terms of, you know, I mean, people are certainly concerned about you know, how big they've become, but everybody agrees that they do a pretty good job of using the national microphone, and I think we need better national brands, and I think we need more truly local brands, and we need to have a different attitude about it. We have a lot of people using Live Local as a liner. And across town, we hear national broadcasters all but sitting there, laughing at them, saying, Live and Local, sure, bless your hearts. You're just jealous because you couldn't get Rush Limbaugh. You're just jealous because you couldn't get Ryan Seacrest. Um, Live and Local has to be more than a liner, and I feel like we're doing a better job than we were doing 5 years ago but this certainly shows the limitations and the challenges the other thing that i've come out of this with is the realization that even if every jock is piped in from somewhere music radio stations need to hire music, need to hire news directors again Music radio stations need to have a news director who is not coming down the hall from the news talk station. It's great when they have those resources, but they need to have somebody who reflects the audience. They need to have somebody who understands the audience's sensibilities. They need to have somebody who can help the jocks Discuss current events because I've also heard people stretch to their limitations, particularly on pop stations. I've heard, you know, very good morning show hosts trying to read the news headlines, and you can, it's not their fault. They weren't trained to do that, and it shows.
0: Is anybody training people at this point? Are there any models even to point to to say, here's somebody who is a successful music radio news person in 2020?
1: I don't know that I've heard that in the last couple of days. I think, if anybody, and Trip from WBLS. I think WBLS, which did, you know, WBLS and Hot 97 did a town hall last night. And, you know, it speaks volumes about the whole issue that stations like wbls are ready because stations like wbls don't ever have the luxury of not being ready to discuss this issue
0: and i want to speak up here just as a point of personal pride as the as the contract chief engineer for wdkx here in rochester which is one of the now oldest black owned stations in america that you know they've got Tariq Spence, their news director, a morning co-host, who certainly executes that well, and they've been there all weekend through this. And they, uh, I want to uphold them, too. Uh, you know, when, you, when you're looking around for people to listen to, I, I would certainly hold them up as being a, a shining example of how to do it right.
1: And DKX, uh, just beyond you know, this weekend... WDKX has withstood something the radio stations in a lot of markets have not. They were an adult-leaning mainstream R&B station that had someone come in against them and try to play more hip-hop and try to come in on the younger end, and they continue to flourish because, in part, of what they mean to the community and that you know, the commitment to the community has always been their starting point
0: with the call letters. Absolutely. And for those who don't know, it's D for Frederick Douglass, K for Martin Luther King, and X for Malcolm X. Very deliberately chosen. And uh, just a just a great radio station. I certainly am, am very proud to be associated with them. Who else, and uh, accepting your caveat that you haven't had a chance to listen to everybody over the last few days, who's gotten this piece right? And I guess I'll broaden that too. Who's gotten... Who's gotten the tone right in terms of how to handle the pandemic and the shut-in? There was a great quote I saw from somebody in one of the radio Facebook groups. I think it was, uh, it was Laura Johnson, uh, who I think is out in Missouri, talking about how every day she goes in and tries to do a regular traditional radio show. She feels like she's the band on the Titanic. Who's gotten the tone right through the pandemic, and who's, how, how do you strike that tone right right now?
1: I think it's being able to share information. I think when I listened to radio stations on Memorial Day, uh, I heard a lot of people who had found a tone. At the beginning, radio, because of our training for the last 10 years, it felt like people were trying to acknowledge this practically through live more music more variety and you know now you're stationed for information during the pandemic i think people have found a tone where they are just reflecting life as it happens around them that takes care of themselves or i did you know, around memorial day and of course now people have had the change up again and yeah you know, i've also heard a lot of stations including um, some heritage R&B stations, where you know, during the time I've listened, you know, I've heard stations that were jockless during the day. I've heard stations that were obviously voice-tracked, and it sounded, you know, in multiple formats, it sounded very close to business as usual. I heard one rock station in a blue market uh, where there was only one break at the seven o'clock hour on Monday morning, you know, acknowledging any of this. And it was to say that looters had broken into, um, the college football hall of fame in Atlanta. And fortunately, none of the permanent exhibits had been damaged. And that was the only acknowledgement during the hour. And again, I don't know what was the hour before or the
0: hour after. It definitely gets back to your point about the difficulty in, in trying to do news-related events when there's not news training involved. And I guess we have to bring in at this point the breaking news here in, here in my market this morning uh, as we record this where we had uh, an afternoon duo on on what has been really a very interesting radio station because it's been... An unusual iHeart attempt to do an FM talk format in a world where they don't really do hot talk on FM on a corporate level anymore and has been live and local all day. And a pair of personalities who have a long history in the market of having stepped over the line before, of having gotten fired from another cluster and and rehired, stepped over the line again yesterday and, and are now out of work today. What are... What are those trigger points? I mean, obviously, using the n-word on the air in the way that they did is something that that at a corporate level nobody's going to tolerate these days. But where where should those lines be?
1: Well, it's scary to say this, but you know, after 35 years where, you know, since the Grease Man on DC One O One, where the strategy has been. To try and brazen it out, and you know, if you know someone only gets fired if their own audience is offended, and somebody you know can get fired and show up across the street the next week, um, the first strategy should be first do no harm. We know that's not enough. Now that's been the lesson of this week, but it's amazing for how many broadcasters. The first lesson is not first do no harm. Um, it's you know it is amazing how many broadcasters you know in the mid 2000s um, after Janet Jackson and the Super Bowl. You know there was a clampdown on anything that seemed the least bit risqué, and in a lot of cases, what took its place was inflammatory talk like this. And you know, it's you know it's sad that it should take 50 years to dismantle even one example of.
0: It has been interesting, too, watching the dynamic at this particular station, which is WAIO, Radio 95.1. I heard here in Rochester that they have the longest established morning host in the market in the form of Brother Weeze, who is a complete polar opposite politically uh, from, from what the afternoon show was. And they stood up, his entire show stood up last night, and they were tweeting saying, we're not going on tomorrow morning until they deal with this. And I'm wondering, too, both, you know, how much impact right now can, can one established personality have? And I wonder, too, as stations are clawing to hang on to every advertiser that they can keep in the fold right now, does that make the potential impact of, of listener pressure on advertisers that much higher right now?
1: Well, it's, it shows the importance of having multiple you know, voices on one radio station. And, you know, this hot talk station is one of the exceptions. In a lot of cases, one of the reasons you're seeing podcasting become the talk radio of the next generation is because that's where the diversity of voices are.
0: So that brings up another question, then. Who Who is radio missing right now? What voices are out there? That radio and there goes the dog because we're doing this from home. What uh, what voices are out there right now who are creating compelling audio content who are getting ears that should be potentially going to radio that, that that just aren't. What are we missing as as an industry right now that we should be capturing?
1: Yeah, I speak inexpertly, you know, about the full range of podcasting voices, but I think. One of the greatest ideas of the last year has been the I Heart All podcast format, and I think you know, it's you know also one of the greatest examples of wasteful potential because you know, it's you know it seems put together from available resources, and it does not seem like a full-fledged attempt to take. The ten most influential voices and create a superstation, and you know, I have, you know, I can't say for myself what those ten voices would be, but it's, you know, it's not this rotating wheel of shows that you know, the format is now.
0: Is it even still possible to do that in a linear way? I mean, you can look. You know, I would look, for example, at something like like Cats and his purchase at, at a real you know bargain price, twelve million dollars of WABC in New York, and in theory with the pockets that he has and, and could bring to the table, you know, I think the hope in some corners was, hey, here's an opportunity to reinvent what talk radio sounds like in the biggest market in the US. And so far it sounded pretty much like more of the same. Is it even possible at this point to do this as, as a linear three hours here and then another three hours from somebody else kind of broadcast? Or is is this somewhere where we've got to rethink the entire idea of what a radio station now is, especially one doing talk content?
1: Well, better is better, and better is a first step. And people say, that, you know, to talk about an all-podcast format this point people want on demand. People want to listen when they want to listen, but people, you know, people also pay 40 bucks to go see their favorite podcast or live, or, you know, they did what you could. You know, would someone not want to turn on Mark Marone this weekend? You would someone not want to turn on Mark Merritt this week and hear what he had to say about the events of the week in real time?
0: Let's move over to music here a little bit, because that obviously is uh is where you really specialize, and, and we know you know regular readers of Ross on Radio know that one of your specialties for years now has been the Song of the Summer. Uh we'll dig also into, into some of the lost hits that that you've been focusing on let's do song of the summer first because you asked the question in a recent column is there still going to be a song of the summer your contention is regardless of everything going on yes there still will be right
1: well i wrote that 10 days ago and you know, at that point i would have said the song of the summer was going to be watermelon sugar by harry styles and um you know i'm waiting to see what people come up with and people certainly had no shortage of COVID-19 related songs. They came out with, um, you know, I mean, the song of the summer is different for a lot of people. The song of the summer, 1968, was different for a lot of people. It was, you know, for some people, it was born to be wild. For some people, it was rascals. People got to be free. And I'm certainly waiting to see what people will come up with their resumes now.
0: It doesn't feel to me yet, and maybe I just haven't been paying enough attention to, to music radio, it doesn't feel to me yet like there's been a lot of music that has dropped, that has specifically spoken to the to the pandemic moment, at least. Is it just early for that? Am I expecting too quick a turnaround?
1: I've been getting something in my inbox every day, you know, sometimes from major artists, sometimes from new artists that identifies it as a song speaking to the pandemic. We've already had one song, 21 Pilots Level of Concern, come and go on the charts. Um, There is an excellent song from ex-ambassadors who are not the people you expected to weigh in with social commentary uh who have a song that's just getting started now at alternative radio and yeah you know, the title the hook the, the song is called Zatin and the best I can recreate the hook is that it's give me bleeping Zatin Yeah, you know, which is a perfect commentary on everything now. Indeed So I am hearing it, you know, people people don't think that we have that much music about social commentary, but we certainly had a ton of it in the early 2000s, even with the backlash from the Dixie Chicks. And I'm hearing a lot of people go to that music now. When Q100 in Atlanta goes to Black Eyed Peas, where it was the love, uh, it only proves that people were speeding up in the
0: 2000s you've kind of created the perfect opening here now to circle around to this column that uh that you just posted a few days ago about ranking the the lost hits of the 1980s it's personal for me i'm a i'm an 80s baby i was uh i was in my teens then and and listening to top 40 radio especially 98 pxy here here in rochester back in that era Talk a little bit about about what that column dredged up and, and what kind of reaction you're getting. The Lost 80s
1: columns uh, were an attempt to come up with a formula, not just for what songs don't you hear anymore, but what really big songs don't you hear anymore. What is the difference between how big a song at the time and how much do you hear it now, and I looked at how big a song was on the top 100 of the year, and I looked at how much airplay it's getting now, and the famous example is Olivia newton John Physical. It was number one for ten weeks, but you barely hear it now. You hear Don't Stop Beliefing by Journey, which was a number nine record. Uh, and yet, if you take this formula, physical certainly does not get played proportionate to its airplay, but there are Olivia Newton-John songs like Twist of Fate or Make a Move on Me that get even less airplay now, and were big songs themselves. A lot of songs from the early 80s, uh, before Top War Be Changed, before Tainted Love and Don't You Want Me and Billie Jean. A lot of those songs are thoroughly lost now. And the interesting part is that, you know, people look at this list, they look at Pac-Man Fever, and they look at I've Never Been to Me, which are two very big songs that you don't hear anymore, and people look at this list and say, I hope a lot of those songs stay lost except (laughs) for about 20% of them and What You Forget is... That nobody agrees on the 20%. Everybody has songs that were sentimental to them in high school, even if you think they're junk.
0: So, if you are trying to program a music radio format that still includes the 80s, or perhaps one that has just uh, been launched that, that does a lot of 80s and, and 90s, and well, less 90s, I guess, more 2000s, like Big 103 in Boston. How do you process a list like that? Do you do you look at that and say, gee, I should be spinning Pac-Man fever in there now and again?
1: Well, I think the Jack stations and the Bob FM stations and those stations that are descended from them, they weren't really that bold. They took The biggest songs from classic rock, they took the biggest songs from oldies and classic hits, they took the biggest songs from hot AC, Uh, and then occasionally they threw in something like Pac-Man Fever just to prove that they could. If you look at a station like Big 103 in Boston, it is basically playing the hits, it's just playing them from a variety of different places. There are a lot of songs from the early 80s that will not come back in part because they were never that big hits to begin with and people just don't
0: remember them and you
1: can't bring people back to a childhood didn't—a childhood that they didn't have.
0: I will say that I got in my car the other day, my wife had been driving it and she had flipped over uh, to First Wave on, on Sirius XM And it was still on when I got in the car and ABC The Look of Love was playing and I was cruising around just blasting that and thinking, yeah, okay, there's there's one that that is not on the radio. But for something like First Wave, it's it's a perfect song for that format. Yeah, I'm
1: perfect. On First Wave, hearing the ABC Look of Love is like hearing Tainted Love Because guess, it's that obvious and it's the kind of thing that sounds like it should have endured as a here after.
0: And I will stand up and say it should have. I will I will I will go to the uh I will go to the barricades on that one. But uh, When
1: Jack FM came to New York
0: fifteen years ago.
1: My wife wasn't all that impressed with them and then they played Driver's Seat by Sniffin' the Tears and it was Yeah, finally a record I want to hear. And then ten days later they played it again a second time and she said, I don't need to hear this. <laughs> we don't need to leave this on
0: So let's talk about repetition. I mean you know one of the one of the categories of stations that that seems to be suffering right now for obvious reasons, rating wise is the soft hits you can play and and leave on in the office all day with a no-repeat workday station because nobody's in an office with background music for a no-repeat workday. How should music radio, and especially stations like that, how should they be adapting to the way that, that people are using radio? I guess the bigger question is what have we learned so far after a few months of this about how people are using radio now?
1: Well, certainly stations that are programmed for TSL, in defiance of 10 years of PPM programming dogma, have been doing very well lately. There's a Classic Country station in Cincinnati doing well. WETA in Washington with Classical has seven shares or six shares, and the Top 40 station is in the twos and threes. So, clearly... At this moment, with office listening disrupted with carpool listening disrupted stations that tend to either offer news of information or speak to older men, seem to be those stations that are thriving at this moment
0: so how do how do stations adapt? is there Is there a hope that it'll just you know when people start going back to work they'll 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 slip back into new patterns, and what if they don't? I'm not
1: sure yet what the answer is for mainstream AC, and I think we have to wait and see on that one. For top 40, I think 10 years of PPM thinking that you try to win on Q only and that you play songs 120 times a week, 140 times a week, I think it's been I think that's been disastrous I think if you look at some of the stations that are flourishing right now, and there are only a few of them, that are stations like Kiss 108 in Boston that played the hits 100 times a week, not 120 times, WKRZ and wilkes I think we have assumed that playing the hits too much and getting complaints about repetition was supposed to be a sign that you were doing things right. And when people complain about seventy times a week, it's not the same as when they complain about a hundred and twenty times a week.
0: And Kiss certainly got a little bit of a bonus this week in losing what was not or last week, rather in losing what was not a particularly strong competitor. Uh, in the form of AMP, and, and we've already mentioned the station that succeeded at Big 103. What went wrong with AMP in Boston? I think
1: it was hard to find a lane against KISS FM. I think that all of those second top 40s were parked in a very narrow place between top 40 and rhythmic top 40. I think that a lot of those second top 40s actually probably ultimately hurt Top 40 radio by making the music so narrow, because the only songs that could find a quorum were songs that could be played on those second Top 40s for 120 spins a week. I think AMP uh, did a lot of things right or, you know, had the right idea in trying to acknowledge the change in listening habits and trying to play the music that came from Spotify and elsewhere in the streaming world. But I don't think anybody has figured that out yet.
0: Which is one of the questions that, that I wonder about as I look at my teenage daughter and her music consumption habits, which no longer involve radio at all, this, I think, is the question that that a lot of us still don't have answers for, and a lot of us seem to be even wary of trying to ask, is is there, is there going to be another radio generation? Do we have any hope with, with the kids these days?
1: Well, if you don't ask for the order, it definitely doesn't happen. It's been interesting to see how aggressive Radio stations have been about asking parents to call in shout-outs to graduating seniors who can't otherwise have their graduations. And it's been interesting because it's been calling on behalf of your kid. It hasn't been
0: students call-in. And that would not have been the case even probably 15 years ago.
1: Yeah, part of the problem with what happened to pop music in the last 10 years, we lost the mother-daughter coalition. We lost music that moms would want to model for their daughters, basically. There was no impetus to put on radio because an adult woman didn't like the music as much and her daughter wanted to listen to Spotify on her headphones in the backseat anyway.
0: And there is a tremendous amount of of new music interest. I mean, I look at my daughter crafting her playlists and and trying to get her old dad interested in the stuff that she's listening to. And it's worked sometimes. She's got some great stuff that she's turned me on to, certainly. And there's certainly excitement uh, about new music. There was, and I'm blanking now on who it was, that dropped an album unexpectedly just last week and she came running downstairs dad 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 there's a new album out you got to come here and i'm gonna lock myself in my room for the next hour to listen to it there's certainly a level of energy there that, that it feels like radio could still be tapping into
1: radio should have deputized the listeners to find music a long time ago radio should put its music directors on the air and rename them music supervisors and have them advocate for music Entercom in San Francisco has done this. Entercom in San Francisco gave Jane, the longtime music director, the music supervisor title, and every current-based radio station in America should do this. This
0: is on 99.7 there? on um,
1: um, This is on the two Entercom stations, Alice and... Uh, um, and KITS, the former Live 105, now all
0: 105.3. And that feels to me too like something you know, and, and circling back to your column from April about uh, the new dynamic between national and local radio. That's not something that necessarily has to be on a local level anymore, right?
1: I think radio's chance of competing with Spotify, with competing with TikTok, which has become America's music director, is being able to break music on a national level, and I love local stories, and I love that Rochester, like every city in America, had its own garage band classic in the 60s, which is The Hum" by the Invictus. I hate that we're going to lose that, but I hate that there's not more music director enterprise. But I also wonder what one radio station can do now in terms of breaking a local band.
0: I'd like to point out the Invictus, by the way, are still around. And if this were an ordinary summer, they would be out playing at festivals even even now. I still have one, one of their members as one of my Facebook friends, so they... Uh, they are still around and people still remember them here, but again, that also kind of assumes a market where people stick around in the same place, which is not really, hasn't been the dynamic of, of a lot of faster-growing markets now either.
1: Right. Boston. Boston has you know, a great history of local hits, but very few that endure over time.
0: Sean Ross, thank you so much for taking some time to to go over the state of, of where we are right now in radio. I'm sure we will be revisiting this as things continue to change over the next few months. I'm going I'm to leave you with one more question. And I, Again, it's premature, but of course one of the other topics that you always hit at the end of each year and, and you always crowdsource and I always enjoy being a part of that crowdsourcing is what were the most interesting radio stations of any given year? And obviously we're only halfway through this year, even if it's felt like we're already five years into it. If you had to pick out a couple from the first half of 2020, what what stations would you be pointing at right now?
1: Well, and the column I write at the end of the year, the focus is on new stations, new stations that were potentially getting changing and because radio has been in a fiscal crisis for the last 3 months or 3 years or 50 years, you haven't heard as many new launches in the last couple of months. So when I find myself going, when I look at my go-tos, they are perennials. They're KTCL in Denver. They're Magic 102 in Houston. They're 4KQ in Brisbane, and one of my favorite classic hit stations on the planet. I went back to Triple J in Australia, the internationally famous alternative station. and. I try not to write about them too much because they are so written about that I don't think there's anything interesting in writing about them. And yet, it was great radio, and I couldn't deny it. Um, I always like Saquon Montreal. I have come back to WXPN in Philadelphia a lot over the last year. I'm hoping by the end of the year, there is somebody new and game-changing for me to write about.
0: This is, I, mean, I guess it would be a risky time right now for somebody to rip something up and, and say, all right, I'm going to launch a brand new radio station that's that's more creative than just a big 103 in Boston. In the middle of all of this, and yet at the same time, if ever there was a time to take risks, this, this may as well be it, right?
1: Right. This is arguably...
0: 1964 in America being ready for the Beatles. That is an interesting point to leave it on. Sean Ross, thank you so much for your time. This has been fascinating, and we will uh, we will revisit this later in the year, I'm sure.
1: Thank you, Scott.
0: And you can find Sean's Ross on radio columns at RadioInsight.com. There's a link from the web version of this podcast, too, at com. What are you thinking about right now? How are your radio stations handling the double whammy of crises that we're all dealing with? And who would you like to hear some insight from? Let me know. It's Scott at Fibush.com or in the comments on the web version of the podcast. I look forward to hearing from you, too. It is the Top of the Tower podcast. We are brought to you by Shively Labs. Shively Labs is a division of Howell Laboratories. Shively is a proud employee owned company with over 50 years of expert antenna and filter design and manufacturing. And by YellowTech for broadcasters, podcasters, and content creators. YellowTech offers solutions for clean, efficient studios with the Mika mic arms and monitor supports, clear audio from YellowTech's iXM recording microphone and USB sound cards, along with its compact mixer, the Intellimix. To learn more, go to YellowTech.com. We'll be back hopefully next week with another Top of the Tower podcast. We'll see you then.